0: For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand.
1: Hello, ABG listeners. It is Mel. Before we start today's episode, I want to share some very exciting news. ABG is turning five this September five years old. That's so crazy. And we want to celebrate with you all in the city where it all started, Los Angeles. So if you're in the area, we'd love for you to join us for our happy hour social event on September 16th on Friday. Join us for a night of drinks themed after episodes, our whole team, light bites, and a bunch of ABG listeners. Make new friends, say hi to us, take photos, and just join us to celebrate our fifth birthday. For more information, check our show notes. Can't wait to see you all there. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Janet. And I'm Helen. Hello, ABG friends. I hope you're all doing well. Are you doing okay? Pause for answer. Cool. Cool. Uh, So the other day we're at Helen's and we were hanging out in the nursery and I noticed something really interesting. I saw a sliced onion on the windowsill and was like, what? Like, shouldn't this be in a fridge or like in my sandwich? Um, Helen then shared with us that it's actually a belief that her mom shared with her is that it kills germs and removes bacteria in the air, which we'll talk about later. Anyway, this got us talking about other practices, rituals or superstitions that our parents take very seriously and ingrained in us while we were growing up.
2: Yes. So we tapped our wonderful contributing editor, Hemi, to help us identify a wide range of known myths or beliefs that are popular to certain Asian cultures and help us do some research into whether these are actually true. We got quite curious and thought we would discuss and share our findings with you all today. And as you're listening, if any of these sound familiar or remind you of something you've heard growing up, drop us a note in the comments of the IG post for this episode. So the first myth or belief that we're going to talk about is about putting hot food in the fridge and how it actually makes the food go bad faster. Now, have you ladies heard of this? It's supposed to be a Korean, um, I guess, belief. Ooh, I have
3: heard of this one before, but I don't know the science behind it if it is true. I'm gonna say it has something to do with, like, shocking the hot food with a different temperature and it changing too quickly the molecular structure of the food to make it go bad. That's probably the best answer I can come up with. But my mom has definitely led by example and showed me that when soup is just boiled and hot, you gotta, like, leave the pot till it's cool or warm before you stick it in the fridge. So there's always food left out for a little bit if it were too hot before going in the fridge like late in the night. I also know that for for baby milk, you gradually warm up the milk rather than a microwave or a shock heat the milk because it destroys certain nutrients if it's heated at too high of a temperature. So I do believe this myth to be true for one reason or another and curious to hear if it is what do you think about
1: i never heard of this myth or belief um i think well a couple of reasons i realize um in my household we always um pack our food like after we're done eating and then we like kind of leave it out sitting on top of the lids because my my brother eats round two for dinner so by the time we're done eating the second round of dinner it's already like at the right temperature to put in the fridge so i never really experienced that until i lived by myself this sounds really weird but like for example like i do meal prep so like the other day i made pasta sauce and when i put the lid on top of the like my container it already like kind of expanded and i was like oh that that doesn't look good <laughs> so i just knew not to put it in the fridge cause i'm afraid it's gonna blow up or something so mm. never heard of this um i'm also probably the worst person to ask with this type of question because this is kind of unrelated but related but like i'm the type of person that like Let's say the three of us go to lunch and I order, like, a hot food. I'll put it in the to-go box if I can't finish it. If it's in the car and in the sun, I don't think that it's big of a deal because I'm like, it's been hot before. <laughs> so, girl, for how long? <laughs> how long
0: do you yeah. leave it in
3: your car for?
1: Yeah. I don't know because I'm thinking, like, technically it's cooking like it was in the pan <laughs> oh. before. Oh, so maybe okay, not okay. so good.
3: I used to think that too, but then I think I looked it up one day and it's like, it actually breeds bacteria if it's in the heat for too long Ooh. in your car. So... Is that the reason why you have so many stomach aches? <laughs>
2: That's
1: possible. That, you know, I've seen Ooh. a change. <laughs> I haven't been leaving food in the car as much
2: anymore, but I have done in the past. So just just trying to save myself here. <laughs> yeah. So actually talking about bacteria, that is that has to do with the answer that we found. According to all recipes, there is actually a danger zone for bacterial growth. So if food is uh, between 41 and 135 degrees Fahrenheit, um, this is the spectrum known as the danger zone, where potentially harmful bacteria grows most rapidly at these temperatures. So if you have a large amount of hot food, it'll help the food pass through this danger zone for bacterial growth faster if you divide it into smaller shallow containers or use an ice bath or cold water shower uh, to help cool the foods down more quickly. So, if you have a large pot or container of food that's hot, it should not be placed in the refrigerator or freezer because it can actually raise the temperature inside the refrigerator or the freezer mm. and um, have a high risk for spoiling the other food that's already in there. So, um, that's kind of their their thing. Although they do want to say that it is better if you have hot foods in like smaller containers, it's better to just store it in the fridge right away if you're going to end up forgetting it outside. Better to put it hot in the fridge than to leave it out and forget about it in room temperature for a really long time. Um, But generally speaking, um, yes, if you – oh, sorry. Uh, So does that mean that it's not supposed to? (laughs) I'm getting a little confused. I'm like, well, because – so 41 degrees to 135, that's like if it –
1: Dude, I don't know how, honestly, oh. I, I've literally, that's the part I'm stuck on because I'm just like, <laughs> what is 41 degrees? Yeah. Like, have I touched 41 degrees before? <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like that's... Like, like when I cook my food, I don't, when I when I touch it and it's hot, I don't know how hot it is. What's room temperature?
3: Isn't that like 70 degrees?
2: 70 something? <laughs> yeah. So, bacteria can occur around, so it's like, if it's hotter, then it's okay. And then if it's really cold, it's okay too. But there's like that danger zone in the middle, so I guess it's like, like room temp. Yeah, so I guess actually, then the danger of leaving the f- or putting the fridge in the food is not so much spoiling the food that's hot and cooked as it is spoiling the other food in the fridge. Hmm. So I, I so it sounds like if so it's like if you made if you made your meal prep meal, whether oh. you leave it out or if you put it or it's probably better to just put that food in the fridge. So that that food doesn't spoil, but then if you do that, it's gonna spoil like the apple and the other stuff you have in the fridge, or or the other meat you have in the.
1: But isn't that why you have like the little drawer that says like for fresh produce or
2: something? I guess so. I guess meat? so. But then maybe sometimes it won't be like effective enough.
3: But how much hot food can you put into your fridge before it actually lowers the temperature of the surrounding the foods? Because yeah. your refrigerator is constantly keeping Pretty. at a cool state.
2: Yeah. I guess maybe just try to avoid, like don't put it right on top of the produce or I don't know. Sometimes like, sometimes I think about that where I'm like, if I'm going to put food in the fridge, you know how like you have, um, there's like a, a bulb, like a light bulb in the fridge on the top shelf usually. Yeah. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I should avoid putting like things that will spoil quickly up there because oh, if it's yes. big, you know what I mean? And I, sometimes wonder I'm like, where in the fridge strategically should this item go?
3: But that light but anyways, only turns on
2: <laughs> when you open the door. It does, but but think about how many times you open the door in a day, you know? And then sometimes people, like, when you're, like, in the morning, when I'm making my smoothie, I sometimes just have the door open and I'm true, taking things in and true. out,
3: you know? Wait, Mel, did you know that? Because you had a very shocked look on your face. <laughs> I forgot about the light bulb. But that
1: just made me think of something hell unrelated to this. Do you ever think it's interesting that when you touch the light bulb in the fridge, it doesn't hurt your fingers because it's cold? Wow, <laughs> sorry, I, I had not thought
2: about that. But because most true. likely,
1: when you look at your light bulb like in the living room, like you don't want to touch it because right. it's gonna hurt your fingers. But you're, you can touch the one in the fridge.
3: I feel like everyone's gonna <laughs> go and touch the light bulb, in their, the light bulb in their fridge
1: now. <laughs> yeah. question. Do you guys think they make a certain type of light bulb for their fridge? Because it, you know, like there's a different. That's
3: a really good question, and now I'm curious and I'm sad. that I have to wait till the end of this episode to go find out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I actually know because oh. in the last month, the um the place I'm leasing right now. The, the light bulb in the fridge went out. So I had to go online and Google and order a new one from Amazon. Um, but they're actually just regular light bulbs. At least I hope they are. Otherwise, I bought the wrong one. <laughs> but, you just, but you just, the only thing you have to pay attention to is like there's a max wattage. So I think, um. I think it's like as long as any light bulb you get is less, is at the level or less than that wattage. Cause you don't want, you don't, can't have like a super bright, hot light bulb in a cold setting, I guess. Mm-hmm. So as long as it's, like, lower than whatever the wattage is on the bulb, um, it should be okay for the fridge. Cool. <laughs> Good but anyway, we've deviated. Yeah, tangent. But I guess it's, like, this belief that putting hot fridge in the food makes it go faster. I guess what we're finding is not necessarily really true. It's not... It's not true, but it can potentially spoil the other food in the fridge. That's I think if someone, if
1: any (laughs) of the (laughs) listeners have a better explanation or (laughs) have
3: experiences, please, you
1: know, let us know, let us know. We (laughs) obviously have no
3: idea. We're still debating. Don't leave your food out for too long and don't put it in the fridge right away. (laughs) Right Right (laughs) away. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Other food around it. But I feel like if you were to choose one or the other, it's better to put it in the fridge because your refrigerator is going to keep the food around it still cold. cold. That's the yes. conclusion. Yes. yes. All right.
1: All right. Moving on to the next belief. I feel like all these beliefs will end up in tangents. But anyways, <laughs> the next belief, I think it's very popular within the like older generational like Asian culture is like having no ice in your liquids or their sensitivity to like They like room temperature liquids. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, Whenever I remember growing up, my grandma would always be like, you need to. She'll never give me ice water. Like ice water was never given to me. We just always had room temperature water. Like our Brita at home is never in the fridge. Oh. And I'm like, and I was like, oh, but, I, you know, growing up, you know, like ice, an ice beverage is so refreshing. And I have a story about this because I feel like I told this story a couple times. I don't know if people remember, but we were so my brother and my cousin Christopher and I all of us are back in Taiwan and we decided to stay with my my grandma's sister, and it's freaking hot in Taiwan. It's like it's like humidity. It's just it's really hot. And then we're sleeping over, and my great aunt's like, "Do you guys want a smoothie?" And we're like, "Yes, we love a smoothie." We were picturing like some Jamba Juice kind of like refreshing ice concoction, but she hands us this mushy cup, and it's all the fruit she had was like. I don't think she puts it in the fridge. Room temperature fruit, room temperature water, no ice. So it was like warm smoothie, and I was like, "This is not what I anticipated." Mm. But I think it's because they don't like anything too cold. So I'm just curious as to like if you guys feel the same way or have yeah. experienced the same thing.
2: I definitely grew up with the same messaging. All of my Chinese relatives, of my parents' generation and above, like know about this and talk about this and reinforce this. And especially on my mom's side, I remember like whenever I'd go to my my grandma or my aunt's house, they would actually like yeah, I would I would be like reprimanded when I was younger if I ed- ever like asked for ice water or whatever. Not not that they like punished or whatever, but they would just always be like, "Oh my gosh, why no, 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 don't." Like, you know, drink room temperature. And they emphasize especially because I'm a girl. You know, and I, I, I didn't understand. I was like, oh, especially for women, why, why is that? But yeah, that was my experience. How about you, Helen?
3: I would also personally love to understand the why of this, because obviously, all of us grew up with very Asian traditional parents who only drink warm water, never ice. Even now mm. that my parents are visiting, I use my hot water boiler to quickly boil water to heat up bottles for my baby, but. Now that they're visiting, the boiler is always filled to the brim with water so that they can heat up water for whenever they need it. And I always feel guilty because I pour out like two-thirds of the water so I can quickly heat up the little liquid that I need to heat up a bottle. And I'm just like, can you stop using this? But also, you need this? So, But I need this every like four hours. So (laughs) do we need another boiler just for you and then just for me? But I feel like this one has to be true because so many elder Asian parents abide by this. Mm. So... Please tell me if this is debunkable or not, so we can go back to them and be like, drink this ice water.
1: <laughs> well, I will be here to share this information I found from Hemi. So water. I'm a water scientist. This is really fun. Um, so water's in, water in Chinese medicine, and Jana, you would studied this, so maybe this, is, this rings a bell, but... Everything is classified according to more yin or more yang, so more cold or more heat. The aim is to always strive for balance of the two. So water is considered a yin substance, i.e. a cooling substance. That's why we need to make it a bit more yang by adding heat. So by, by default, water is considered cool. So that's why they want to raise the temperature. Interesting. Here's the why we should love. Continuous conception of cold water will actually put out our stomach fire. Ooh. My stomach's always on fire. I think that stomach's on fire. <laughs> no, your stomach's always on fire. <laughs> I know. I would, I would ask my mom, like, why is our stomach always on fire? Uh, what, <laughs> what will then happen is that our body's digestive system has to work harder in order to heat up enough to aid the digestive fire. So this forces the digestive system to essentially borrow energy from other systems in the body. So systems like a reproductive system, for example. This can then deplete the reproductive system of its energy, called qi in Chinese medicine. When our stomach fire is put out, this leads to sour digestion, <laughs> <laughs> malabsorption. <absorption>. <laughs>
2: malabsorption. Malabsorption. <laughs> should we just that take that good. back or leave that in let's leave that in that was amazing <laughs> bloating that should be that should be the episode clip <laughs> mal say it again malabsorption
1: perfect bloating gas <laughs> weight gain and stomach pain that gets better with warmth honestly this makes a lot of sense now and i've shared with you both that my family likes to be like spicy and like we my mm. mom and i like to drink ice beverages But we always have problems with our digestion system and bloating. So I think now with, like, I try to implement more warm liquids Mm. into my body. But that is the why.
3: It makes a lot of sense. Wow. I feel like... Slow digestion, malabsor- malabsorption, bloating, get all of that. That's a lot of stuff to worry about from cold water alone. And maybe this is more Western thinking, but I remember reading somewhere that when you drink cold water, your body works harder to heat it back up, which I guess is consistent with what you mentioned, Mel, from more of a TCM approach. But from a Western perspective, it was shared. I remember reading it like in a positive light that if your body is working harder, you're burning more calories. Mm. I did look this up because I don't want to be the person that spreads gimmicks and any, like, get slim quick shit that usually is bullshit anyway. But it's been found that the difference between drinking hot and cold water in terms of burning calories is minimal. The body mm. might burn four extra calories, which I don't know if this is accurate, but, like, that's like a fart or a burp, right? like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like very minimal of a difference. And so it does make me wonder, given everything that you mentioned, Mel, from the Chinese medicine perspective, the digestion, bloating, gas, etc., maybe it is actually better to go hot than cold for those four calories.
1: Yeah. Mm. I have a follow-up question for you both related to like consuming water or like whatever. Yeah. But I, I think growing up, depending on what like when I was back in Taiwan eating dinner, one thing I noticed is that you know when we eat meals together, we always have a beverage. Mm -hmm. when i was in taiwan having dinner i remember the kids wouldn't or like weren't allowed to have drinks Mm -hmm. so they would just want you to focus on eating and then afterwards you can have a cup of whatever you want to drink
2: yeah that was how my my mom said the family was as well they um they were always like no you don't want to like don't drink so much water while you're eating and i don't know if it would they're like it's mixing like you don't you want the food to yeah, I'm actually not sure why they did that, but it was. I noticed that was a distinct difference as well, is like you eat food first, and then if you want, you're thirsty, you drink it after mm. versus doing it together. I Because I'm like thirsty. Yeah,
3: I have distinct <laughs> memories of us wanting like a soda, and then I think it's more because it was extra cost. They are like, no, drink water. and So <laughs> we never had soda at like Chinese banquets or anything. Not Chinese banquets, yeah, but like Chinese yeah. dinners where... Oh, yeah. People have, like, huge bottles of soda in the middle of their table. We never had the like, huge bottles of soda.
1: <laughs> I can relate to that. To this day, when I ever maybe spontaneously crave a fountain drink, I feel really bad when I order it. I'm just like, oh. Mm. Like, it's just I'm not – I'm always, like, water because it's
2: free. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't you find it interesting that – the, this, the whole drinking warm water is kind of more of a Asian tradition. Yeah. When you go to Asian restaurants, they always give you cold water.
2: Yeah. They, well, you know, I think because they, they were adapting to like um, American culture. Yeah. Because mm. I remember even distinctly like actually a lot of Asian restaurants, they just serve room temperature. They don't put ice in it. And then only, I, I real, at least from my memory when I was younger, a lot of the restaurants we went to, they just give lukewarm. And then because we would ask for ice, like the kids would, then they started, like, you know, mm. they, start, they would put in ice. But usually it's room temperature. On this topic, I also know that during
3: my postpartum recovery, which was administered by my mom, one of the biggest considerations given in my care was to avoid anything cold, including mm-hmm. drinking cold liquids. Because it is believed that after you give birth, your body is in a cold state, which happens after you lose your placenta and all the blood that leaves your body. Um, so like you were mentioning earlier with the TCM thing, the chi the balance, the chi is basically leaving your body, right? And mm. so my mom really believed that walking barefoot, having my feet cold, having fans or air conditioning blowing directly on me was like the worst thing that could happen to me. Or even like walking outside and having a gust of wind, like blow my eyelashes up or something. It's like, ah, oh. I don't know why instead of hair I said eyelashes. Anyway. <laughs> But I think having gone through that whole process myself, I did feel like I recovered fairly quickly after giving birth. Mm. And I did feel, I feel like good relative to other stories that I heard. And I really do think it did have to do with the confinement period that I went through. Um, and potentially all the warm and hot liquids that I drank. So I am a total believer in this one, even though I have iced coffee and ice water next to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> But I I am a believer of this one.
1: I want to share something I thought really interesting about. Speaking of postpartum recovery, and Helen, I hope you don't mind me Mm -hmm. sharing. But I remember we were over at Helen's place. And keep in mind, like, I think you had the baby around December. So, I mean, L.A. cold. It was still, like, Mm -hmm. relatively, like, cold, quote-unquote, outside. But for the longest time, Helen, we saw what she ate. Like, it was, like, boiled fish. It was soup almost every day, every meal. And I remember... Of course, Helen is Asian American and she's like, oh, I really want that watermelon. <laughs> like, I remember. <laughs> I really want that sushi. That's why I said. Mm. I know. But I remember distinctly that your mom cut up fruit for the rest of us and mm. you couldn't eat it. And yeah. you're like, oh. But then you're able, you snuck one piece, of, it was like a small piece of watermelon. And then literally an hour later, you're like, dude, look at my tongue. And it was like, like bloated. It just like bumps on your tongue. You're like, holy shit, maybe this stuff does work. Yeah. Like, Ugh. the fact that you put one item of cold. Like one food item in your mouth, you like saw the difference. And I was like,
3: I remember I was like, whoa. Yeah, that was strange. I forgot about that. That is true. Cause I hadn't had cold anything in a while. And then after I ate that, like my, my, my tongue was like extra like red and like sensitive. And I was like, oh, what's happening. And I I don't have any like food allergies or sensitivities. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was the first time that kind of happened. And I was like, whoa, what's my body going through right now? (laughs) What's happening. But it made me even more of a believer in all of that. Same. So the last belief brings me to a similar one that is also related to cold things. The belief is that it is imperative to wear slippers at home to keep the feet warm. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, if you say it like that, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like when your feet are cold, you wear socks or you wear slippers, right? (laughs) But I feel like this belief is saying that like the heat slips out of your feet. Kind of like you're saying Mm -hmm. your mom didn't want you without slippers. But for me, this is okay. This doesn't sound weird, but I have a distinct memory sophomore year english lit class my teacher would always talk about you have to wear a hat the head is what where the heat escapes from but then i thought about i was like
3: so it it escapes from both ends pretty much you (laughs) say head and feet right put put a hat on put socks on keep it all in the middle you're like a a magnet yes
1: yeah so i'm just like okay it applies to your feet it applies to your head so Mm. it makes so yeah
2: i don't know
3: (laughs) (laughs) what do you think janet
2: I do think that there is truth, some truth to this. And um, like when I was growing up, we, this definitely was something that my parents and all my family members very much had. We always had slippers that we provided uh, to guests. And I remember when I was very young, we used to have slippers around the house, but we, it, we started to do it less because um, I, we would have a lot of our like friends and neighbors over that were around my age. And a lot of them were not Chinese. And so because they would come over, you know, they wouldn't really wear slippers. So slowly the habit kind of like, We became more loose with it. And in fact, a lot of my neighbors, they're, you know, they would be barefoot outside. Like when we go outside to play, like their parents would just let them, they would like run around. And I remember, you know, as a kid, you're like, I want to do what everyone else is doing, right? My parents refused. They're like, absolutely not. That's so like, you know, you're going to hurt yourself and it's dirty and you bring into the house, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, whenever I would go and visit, like, my grandma's house um, or anyone on my mom's side, my aunts or uncles, they are always insistent that you wear slippers. In fact, when I would say, no, I don't don't need it because I didn't want to, like, trouble them, they would be like, no, like, they would almost be uncomfortable for you. Like, oh, Mm. you don't want slippers, you know? And so... I don't. Yeah. So I feel like there is there is something to the health of keeping your feet warm.
1: Actually, you know it's interesting. This whole time, I realized I thought we wore slippers. Like Helen gives us slippers too. I thought it's mostly because the floor's dirty. Oh, oh my, floor is dirty my floors. Or clean. Clean. <laughs> <laughs> my floor is floors are clean. My floors questionable. And I do vacuum. Because <laughs> I wear slippers in my house because I think sometimes the floor gets dusty. But uh, right. I do I do sweep and I do vacuum. <laughs> I just wanna put it, I wanna put it
3: out there. Um, I mean, I think it is a huge cleanliness thing, too. But it's interesting that even though we all have different, obviously, families and different upbringings and our families are from different areas of China, Taiwan, like, this is very consistent throughout all of our families. Anytime I enter in my grandma's house, even if she has, like, back pain or feet pain or she always says she has headaches, she'll always still, like find her way and shuffle across the room to grab me a pair of slippers so my feet aren't mm-hmm. cold. I'm like, Grandma, sit down. I can grab it. And she's like, no, you're not going to get it without me. I'm like, okay. So it is very, very important. And also for the amount of time that we do wear slippers in the home, these aren't like memory foam slippers with like arch support that you'd be getting if we were mm-hmm. you know, wearing slippers so often. They're like the $2.99 slippers you get in the corner market of some Chinatown with the hard, thin soles and the, and the mesh with the flowers embroidered mm. on top of it. I feel like you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The mesh with like like the little plastic mesh with the fl- the sparkly flowers on top. Those are the fancy ones. Those are really
1: <laughs> <laughs> The ones I used to wear in Taiwan, my uncle would be like, "Those are the prison slippers." <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I know the ones Helen's talking about. I remember, um, I feel like those became like trendy for a while. Oh, were they? Like, I saw, yeah, I saw a lot of people, but yeah, they were really pretty. Like, the, yeah, the mesh, and they'd come in different colors.
3: Yeah, but they're so narrow. Like, my mom's toe sticks out (laughs) of (laughs) them. It's like a one size fit all, y'all. Yeah. Wait, I gotta do this (laughs) now. mom's gonna kill me why should that be the thumbnail for this episode (laughs) oh my god like i even though i've bought her because when she comes to visit she like keeps those slippers and she hides it somewhere and i don't know where she hides it because i never see it and then when she comes back again she like brings it out of some closet (laughs) i'm like where the frick did you hide this and I got her nicer slippers to use but she's like no 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 this is okay this is okay like that's too fancy I'm like dang use <laughs> it well according to TCM beliefs one of the main acupuncture points for the kidney channel is on the sole of your foot mm. and the kidney energy facilitates fertility and needs to be warm to do so so the temperature of your feet is supposedly related to the temperature of your womb I wonder Janet if this is related to something you were saying earlier about how specifically as a girl it's necessary that you're mm. not like drinking cold liquids and keeping your feet cold. So keeping your feet warm is supposedly keeps all of the energy meridians in your legs warm. And these meridians bring energy up to your uterus and entire pelvis area. So if your feet are cold, your uterus is cold. If your feet are warm, your uterus is warm. So I guess slippers help with fertility, supposedly. Also having warm feet Supposedly opens up the blood vessels in them to allow more efficient blood flow and to help your body to redistribute heat all around In turn, this helps you to sleep better Bring back your energy and generally take care of yourself to stay more comfortable fit and well Mm. Aside from these points, I think it's also just a cleanliness thing But lots of good support out there for keeping your feet warm
2: So this brings us to our next belief, which is kind of, you know We've been talking a lot about the like TCM approaches eastern versus western um, Kind of perspective on health Uh, We want to discuss the belief about the effectiveness of using Eastern medical approaches versus like Western medical approaches. So, you know, all three of us grew up in in the U.S. and American culture, but obviously our families are ethnically Chinese. And around the home when you would get sick or, you know, maybe like um, have certain ailments when you were growing up, uh, did your parents use like certain home remedies that were kind of like different from, say, going to the pharmacy and getting like Tylenol or Advil or something like that?
3: I think my parents have been a believer in the typical over-the-counter medicines like Tylenol, Claritin, etc. but they're definitely big on daily intake of foods and hot water mm. and nutritional items that are highly focused on your health and the balance of your body. Nothing that's too yeet hay, nothing too spicy or salty, just like overall good balance. And I think personally for me, like I mentioned earlier, after having gone through my postpartum confinement period, I very much am a believer that eastern medicine probably has more benefits, ooh that's a big statement, than western mm. since it's less it's less reactive and more holistic of an approach. And also uh, just surely because it's been around for so long, so much longer than western medicine, there must be some like credibility given to that. Mm-hmm. Right? I always think about how when we grew up as kids of Asian immigrants, we would always see things like acupuncture or having grown up seeing my mom with the cup bruises on her back since I was a Mm -hmm. child, both of which we now see with NFL players and other athletes Mm -hmm. doing this all the time. And that I feel like was not at all popularized until more recently, but it's been around for ages. So I do think that Eastern medicine has a lot of benefits to it, but the issue is that it's just not as well documented or easily searchable Mm. from a Westerner's eyes. Even for my confinement period, like not a lot of information was out there and I kept asking my mom, why, why? And she's just like, you just do it, blah, blah, blah. It's been passed down for like from my parents, from whoever just believe in it. And it's so hard to just believe in, even though there are benefits to it that we can't see immediately. Um, But I think we're going to see a lot more TCM practice in play in the coming years. That's my opinion.
1: Mm. Mm. That's very interesting. I feel like for me, like, I had more exposure to, like, the Eastern medicine through my grandma. Mm-hmm. And maybe through, like, actually, it's really through the postpartum. Like, just being exposed to um, my aunt having her babies. Like, I was, like, I always saw her, like, in our in our family, it's, like, I do, I do think that we, the Eastern approach is, like, eating certain types of foods. Like, the whole, like, hot and cold is a big factor. And I can see how that... Cause I honestly don't know in the American culture there's certain things you have to eat after pregnancy I don't know like I I, I had never heard any of the like you should eat this or you should not eat this so uh, I don't know so um there's that I feel like in terms of food my mom I'll be my mom is notorious of eating like spicy all the quote-unquote bad stuff which I love like the oils the mala flavor like but I also saw the result of that because my digestion got it like, was really bad so I start turning into more like, eastern approaches and i have personally seen a difference a home remedy my grandma used to do with me which is really interesting is whenever i was sick she'd always feed me there's this she always feed me this is chinese soda called heisong oh. and it's a, a sarsaparilla it's kind of like a chinese root beer oh heisong oh i haven't hey. heard of that it's like a dark red can but i think it's because at first I was like, oh, this is a Chinese thing. But I realized a lot of other, even American families, sometimes when you're, when you're feeling like uncomfortable in the tummy, it's a like carbonation helps. Mm, so she'll see me That's So maybe for her, that's the soda she would give me because it's Chinese right, soda. Right. Another thing is I do believe in um, like uh, acupuncture. Mm-hmm. So my mom actually got me into acupuncture. My grandma did cupping too, but my mom, so the woman in my family, we uh, have a trend of having vertigo. Mm -hmm. so when I was in elementary school I'd wake up sometimes so dizzy I couldn't walk straight I would actually call out a class and my mom has it my grandma has it and so the thing that my mom tried was acupuncture and she realized um the doctor said yes we're opening up your blood flow and the pressure points so that way you won't you'll feel more balanced and ever since my mom and I both did that we have stopped getting vertigo which is kind of crazy Mm. so I think that is some moments of like Eastern medicine that I I feel like
2: I've been exposed to.
1: Yeah. Um, do you have any for yourself, Janet?
2: Yeah. I mean, similarly for me, a lot of it came through my grandparents more strongly than my parents. Um, I remember when I would be at my grandmother's house, if we would get a sore throat, she would give us this thing called uh, Twinpe gao. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. She would give us this um, kind of like black syrup, Um, it's called like pi pagao or twin pi, pi pagao and it's this kind of like minty, sweet, um, darker brown, almost blackish like syrup. And uh, I think in like American holistic natural medicine, it's kind of similar to like elderberry syrup. Mm. But basically it's like it helps soothe and they would give it for everything. Like, oh, you have a stomach ache? Here, have a spoonful of this. Oh, you have a throat, your throat sore? Here, have a spoonful of this. Headache? A spoonful of this. Um, but essentially it's a more gentle and natural and like less harsh than say taking like, um, like a Western pharmaceutical or a cough syrup. Um, my mom also growing up, like, she's, like, a very active person, so she would constantly go and take, like, kickboxing and all these things, wow. and she would get a lot of muscle soreness. Um, but she was always wearing salon pass. I don't know if anyone has, knows, that, but, you know, um, there, there are these, like, cloth strips with, like, kind of a minty product. So almost, like, hot and co- hot and ice, icy hot or whatever mm. that, in Western culture, they have. But it's, um, it's more mild and it comes on these clothings, so and you just, like, stick it on your skin. And some of the more intense ones that you can find, actually, I think I think they use like animal blood, which is, I'm not sure what it, but there there are ones that like essentially using cloth and then like a more sticky substance and they put like herbs and different things Mm -hmm. on it that you put on your skin and helps to heal. So I definitely grew up with my family um, usually turning to more natural approaches uh, versus jumping right into kind of like more um, like Western approaches. And even with medication, my mom told me that, you know, things like Tylenol or cold meds, in, in the States, um, they do research based on Western people's bodies. And usually it's like Western white middle-aged men. <laughs> so she said, you have to be careful for yourself. The dosage recommendation actually may be too high for you. You need to be observant and kind of try try little by little for yourself. So, yeah, it sounds like we all three of us kind of have, you know, been um, accustomed to being around using kind of Eastern approaches over Western sometimes. And when we did some research, what we found is that, you know, when it comes to the belief of the effectiveness of one over the other, it isn't it isn't like an all or nothing. Actually, both Eastern and Western medicine Are effective. Obviously, that's why both have been around for a long time, healing people. Um, But they just have different kind of approaches, and oftentimes nowadays, especially, people call them complementary. They work well together. Mm -hmm. Eastern medicine generally focuses really a lot on prevention. And that's why it's like when things are happening uh, before they get very severe. Eastern medicine is a good thing to to reference, and they focus on prevention, on preservation, and on trying to um, to uh, address a problem by causing the least amount of harm, mm-hmm. right? So versus Western medicine tends to be very good when things get very acute and very serious. So if you break your arm. Don't try to put a little bit of tiger balm on that. That's probably not going to help, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you but if you maybe just you know you like like a little bit of a muscle pain, you probably want to do tiger balm versus going to the doctor or to the emergency room or something. Mm-hmm. So um, these are some of the things that we found, and and especially if we wanted to look specifically into the example of like using tiger balm to uh, to help with like irritation. There's definitely findings that, um, you know, surface like Tiger Bomb as like a, as a, as a muscle pain reliever for headaches, arthritis, pain, cough and cold decongestion. It does, it does, you know, work. And um, I know it, it feels like maybe muscle pain seems obvious, but it's like, why would you use Tiger Bomb for a cold, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is research that finds that causing mild irritation to the skin actually distracts the brain from the sensation of pain. So thus when you use something like a cool minty, something on the surface of your skin, it actually stimulates the sensory receptors on your skin and it dulls the pain receptors. So that might help us understand why maybe when you have a little bit of a headache or like a cold, like why am I putting Tiger Balm on the skin? It doesn't seem like that would help. But you know, if there's like mild irritation, sometimes it's a little bit of a distraction and that can also be effective.
1: That is very interesting. I didn't know about that. I thought uh there's a very great analogy that in our previous episode we do about tcm that i thought was a great example of what the difference the difference of effectiveness of eastern medicine versus western but it's kind of like you said jen like how eastern medicine is more preventative versus western medicine more for like something very serious but when we talked to the tcm doctor she said imagine your body is this pool right and there's like a cancer or there's like a disease there what western medicine does is targets that like cancer or that cell in your body eastern medicine focuses on the surrounding Mm. to prevent that from happening so i thought that was really interesting and i always think about that when i compare the difference that's a
2: great analogy yeah
1: The next belief I've heard a lot growing up is that shaving baby's hair to make the hair grow back thicker. Uh, my grandma believed in this because I don't know if she shaved my head, but I had, I had a lot of hair as a baby, but she shaved my cousin's head a lot and my brother's. Oh. So that was a common thing. Um, so were the boys in the family? The boys in the family. Mm. We didn't shave the girls. I think both me, and my, my female cousin, we had a lot of hair, so it wasn't really necessary. Like, we mm. didn't have like fuzz. We came out like wig, you know?
2: (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you believe in this. Have you seen it with your nephews or nieces? Yeah, I actually had not um, heard about this growing up or within my family. Um, Yeah, so, but I did hear about this actually more through my South Asian friends. So my really good friend who's Pakistani, her nieces and nephews, when we were in like high school, they would shave their heads. My Indian friends from high school and college have talked about this, but Within my family, yeah, actually we never, I never knew about this. Um, But maybe it's also, yeah, me and my sister came out with like with too much hair too. So it it just wasn't a practice for us. How about you, Helen?
3: I don't know about this one, but I remember when I was a teenager and I shaved my legs. Mm. Sorry, I have my baby now. And so you're going to hear his baby cooing in the back. But I remember my mom would yell at me saying that it would would grow back thicker. So maybe it's the same for baby hair. I don't know, yeah. but, but like in a more positive way, where it's like, "Yay, shave his head so it he grows back thicker." But my baby has very little hair, so uh, we're not gonna shave it anytime soon. <laughs> Wait, so hell you don't
1: believe in this? So that's why you're not shaving your baby's head, huh?
3: I think I've heard that if you shave it, it will grow back more even because I think a lot of Mm. babies, they tend to sleep on certain sides of the head or they're always tossing and turning. So it creates bald spots on the back of their head. So I could see why some people would want to shave their baby's head so that their hair would grow back more evenly once they stop like moving around so much at night.
2: Mm.
1: Well, according to our findings, there's no concrete proof so that we don't, so we don't know. Mm. But according to Mom's Love's Best, when babies are born, their hair is typically thin and light. Even if your peanut has a full head of it, these baby locks change into mature hair during the first year. So when you shave your baby's head, you remove the baby hair, and the mature locks will start to appear earlier than they may have left it to Mother Nature. So I mean, that's why that's a...
3: It's almost like
2: we have two sets of, like, your baby teeth and your permanent teeth. Exactly. Interesting.
3: Okay, so this next belief is interesting. Putting onions in your socks to cure your cold... Have you ladies heard of this one before? Uh, no. I just know about
1: putting... I, the only time I heard about onions in general with cold is when your mom puts onions around the house. So I have I have never heard of this one whatsoever.
2: Yeah, same. Actually, the first time I had heard of using onions um, as a way to kind of like help with any bacteria was when I heard Helen's story. Although, I will say my mom, she does eat onions frequently. And she says because it's there is like a good... There's a, I don't know, it's not nutritional either. She said something about, I don't know if it's like antibacterial or whatever it is, but onion is one of her kind of like superfoods too. So I don't know if that has anything to do with anything.
3: Well, this particular belief can be found in Western folklore and also Chinese reflexology. So before the development of the germ theory of disease, which is backed by scientific evidence, people believe that noxious air caused illness. There was a belief that raw onions could purify the air in the room. Maybe that's what my mom believes too, because yes, anytime we were like, anytime someone coughed, oh my God, like literally (laughs) she would be like, I got to go out. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? Where are you buying? She comes back with a two pound bag of onions. I'm like, where do you even get two pounds of onions? And it's like, it's not even like individual onions. It's a whole pack. I don't even know. Do do grocery stores sell that? I don't know where she gets that from. (laughs) Um, Costco? Yeah, maybe Costco. But there is the belief that when an onion is placed against the skin of the foot and kept in a sock... People thought that onions could cleanse the blood. According to Medical mm. News Today, formerly a purification yeah. process that could cure the common cold or flu. And in Chinese reflexology, it is said that people with illness tended to have poorly smelling feet. <laughs> they also noticed that onions had a strong scent and the ability to remove this foul scent from a person's feet who was suffering from illness I don't know, that sounds like one nasty thing against one nasty thing, but (laughs) therefore they believe that the onions removing the smell meant that they were curing the subject of their illness. Mm. According to Medical News Today, there is no proven health benefits to this remedy, but it is not known to be harmful which is also what my mom says to placing onions around the house that this literally is like the one contentious point with like philip because he hates the smell of onions i personally don't smell it when it's around the house and i'm just like oh yeah just leave it there it's not harmful but he's like, i smell it in my bathroom in the bedroom (laughs) in the nursery it's everywhere i'm like well you know she's being really helpful. This is the only thing she wants to do that's a little contentious. Right. And he's like, okay, I guess this is the worst, this is the best worst thing that can happen. But yeah. <laughs> she always says like, if it's not harmful, why not just let me do it? It doesn't hurt to try. So. Right,
2: right. Yeah. Mm, so that's why we have onions around
3: the house, which everyone makes comments on when they come by. They're like, oh, did you leave this here? <laughs> Were you eating?
2: <laughs>
3: <No>. <laughs> Wait,
1: that's so interesting though. So you're saying that people with smelly feet, I'm just a whole, doesn't onions make your feet smell? Like I'm just yeah. like,
2: very I could see – I mean, I've heard of things where people will – they pull toxins out of the foot. Maybe not with onions, but with other things. So it makes sense to me if you're using – if you think if, – if onion truly has antibacterial qualities, you know, that it could – in your feet maybe toxins are more sensitive. And we just read from other things that your foot has a lot of, like, uh, nerve endings and stuff. I feel yeah. like I could kind of see. Oh, my God.
1: This is so random. This never happened to me before. But as you're talking about pulling toxins from your feet – this distinct memory just, like, popped in my brain. I think there's a time when I was a child that my mom and my grandma went to, like, some TCM thing where they would soak your feet in something and the color changes to show to oh, toxicity the toxicity or whatever. Out, yeah. And I remember I was like, you <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I, I've seen things like that as well, so... Interesting. Yeah, a lot of TCM looks at stuff dealing with the feet. I mean, that's why you see a lot of Bigfoot massages in the Asian <laughs> plaza. <Yeah. laughs> so our next superstitious belief is that you cannot or you should not sleep uh, with a mirror facing your bed. Have you ladies heard of this?
3: Yes, this is something I definitely grew up with. No mirrors facing your bed because that will give you bad luck and like suck something. all the energy away from you while you're sleeping. That's what I heard, at least, or that's what I grew up with. But if the mirror is adjacent to your bed, that is more okay. But just not at the bottom of your feet facing you. I don't know if that's more mm. of a feng shui thing or a superstition thing, but I've abided by this since, like, day one. Like, in my dorm rooms, anywhere I moved to, even mm. without my mom present telling me that, I just always made sure there was no mirror at the foot of my bed. Mm. Oh, interesting.
2: How about you, Mel? I believe in
1: this because I just think, overall, it's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> like... I would be afraid if I like woke up and I saw my reflection. And because mm. I, I, I have I always think about remember when you're like a teenager or a little kid and you go to like do your first sleepovers, you're always like, let's do some scary dare Oh, and yeah. everyone's oh, like go to the bed go to the bathroom and say bloody Mary Ugh, or something. I fucking hated that. Ugh. Yeah. So I always think about that. So whenever like there are moments when I literally would be in the bathroom because my light is automatic. <gasps> It'll turn off sometimes and I just like sure, then that's the, scary. I I would scare myself by looking at my own reflection. I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I look scary in the dark. <laughs> so for me, it's more like a freaky association.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely grew up um, knowing this as well. And my mom always told me that, um, you know, you shouldn't have any mirrors by your bed because if your spirit rises from your body in the middle of the night when you sleep, because that is something that, you know, within... Certain cultures, they believe that it will scare itself if it sees itself. So that's that's I had not heard about the you know other, but it mostly it was just about the idea that your spirit at times when you're sleeping comes out of your body and that if there is a mirror around, it would get scared if it saw itself, um, which is actually which is actually in line with some of our findings. According to BetterSleep.com, there is a belief that when we sleep, our spirit leaves our body. And when this happens and our spirit sees our reflection in the mirror, it becomes startled and it leads to nightmares in your sleep. So that is that's one one belief. The other, which Helen had mentioned, um, is that there is also a belief that having a mirror in front of your bed doubles your luck or your misfortune. So depending on what you're experiencing at the moment, it can intensify. Oh, right. okay. um, I think I
3: heard about that one too before.
2: Yeah, and and I guess like kind of a, a similar idea is that the the mirror bounces the energy. Um, so bouncing and doubling, virtually interrupting the peacefulness within the bedroom. And that can result in a lot of insomnia and even lead to nightmares. So I don't know. It's interesting. I wonder if, uh, what our listeners think, if they've heard of this, uh, if you do your own research, what your findings are, maybe real life, uh, real life experiences that you have to share, <laughs> leave them mm-hmm. in the comments for us
3: yes honestly I feel like all of these superstitions and beliefs they come from somewhere right and it's Mm -hmm. up to you if you want to live your life believing them or not exploring these different beliefs during this episode was a fun way to learn some new things and also just like a piece some pieces of our history too and just feeling a little bit more connected to our um I feel like our like Asian immigrant parents and why they did certain things that seemed a little senseless before but now it's like oh maybe it is connected to some some truth Mm -hmm. yes so to all our listeners out there, what's something that you heard growing up that's unique to your culture? And do you know if it is true or if it works? We would love to hear from you. Let us know in the comments of this episode's IG post or in an email.
1: If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash Asianbossgirl slash support or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated
0: with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dairy ABG, and much
4: more. Our handle on both platforms is at AsianBossGirl. And we have a couple of shoutouts for today's episode. Coming from New Jersey, Raheel wants to send a shout-out to Lian in Tokyo, Japan. Hi, Leon! Congratulations on buying your new place and your promotion. Always love connecting with you, and I enjoy our wonderful conversations. Looking forward to meeting you in person. From Rachel in Berkeley to Kat... Hi, Kat. Congratulations on becoming a new mama and welcoming your baby boy in your new home. I am so grateful for our friendship and our monthly reflection catch-ups, and I'm looking forward to hugging you in person one day soon. And last but definitely not least, from Ari to her big sister, Ariel, in Des Moines, Iowa. Hi, JJ, Congrats on getting married on August 2nd, 2022. I did something right or wrong, winky face, in my past life to deserve you in this one. If you'd like to send a few words of encouragement or a shout out to a friend, check out the link in our show description or our link tree in our link and bio on Instagram and click on shout outs.
3: Before we end today, we want to let you all know that we've started new mini podcast shows that now release every Tuesday. Tune in to K-Dreaming with Mel, Living Well with Janet, and Spill the Baby Tea with Helen. Each
1: week we'll release a new episode from one of the shows right here on the Asian Boss Girl feed. So be sure to tune in to us on Tuesdays and Thursdays from now on. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And with
3: that, we will catch you all on the next episode. Bye!